There's no job, there is no product, there is no service that doesn't involve technology going forward in the 21st century. So be yourself and find the investors who really get you, especially if you don't come from a technical background, if you're a woman, if you're a minority, or God help you if you're both, you might have to knock on more doors. I certainly did. I had to knock on a lot more doors to finally find those investors who really got it in the beginning. Chris Beasley coming to you from Dogpatch by the Bay in San Francisco, California. This is the Hacker Noon Podcast. Today, the first black woman to sell her company to a NASDAQ-listed company gives us the real talk about getting through all the stages of a successful company from startup to growth to exit. She also dispels some myths about being a mom and an entrepreneur. Cheryl has appeared on The Washington Post, New York Times, Black Enterprise, BBC, MSNBC, and CNN. I'm delighted to share with you my conversation with this brilliant and hilarious human. Sunday Night Blues creeping in every week. It's time to find a job you love. Indeed, Prime connects tech talent to software, DevOps, and other knowledge worker roles with leading companies like eBay, Barclays, Vodafone, HomeAway, and more across 90 cities. Whether you're looking or hiring, get the right match for you based on location, skills, and salary. Candidates join totally free and also get access to resume reviews, one-on-ones with technical career coaches, work style assessments, and negotiation tips to seal the deal. Join now at IndeedPrime.com slash HackerNoon to flip the script on the job search. That's Indeed, P-R-I-M-E dot com slash HackerNoon. Cheryl Conti, welcome to Hacker Noon. Thanks for having me, Chris. I'm so excited to talk to you about Mechanical Bull. I have to tell you that I I fell in love with you even a little bit more as I was reading your book. (laughs) Because you write about your dad being a Howard professor and you say, Each weekday morning while my father worked at his university office, I went to preschool where I'd set up an office of my own. I recruited my fellow preschoolers in creating and running a tiny workplace. Of course, most of what we did, we had to pretend. No one was going to give us a stapler, for example, so we had to imagine a block as a stapler. My preschool mindset was, we're going to produce. (laughs) (laughs) Completely. Yeah, I was a very, like, the most dangerous four-year-old for sure, you know, you, you may have ever met. Uh, but yeah, you know, sometimes it's in you, right? Sometimes, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit is in you and you don't necessarily have uh, the background, you know, that can really help that flourish. You know, both of my parents were educators, you know, they weren't business people. And so, and, and there were very few, you know, people in my family who had their own businesses. Most of them worked in the you know, for the post office or, you know, in the educational, they work for these big institutions. So, you know, and I think there's a lot of people like that, right? Particularly non-traditional founders. And so I really wrote this book for, for you, you know, if that describes you, you know, you're an immigrant, right. Or, um, you know, you come from, uh, you know, a family that has served in other ways, you know, this is, you know, this book gives you a head start. And it's just all the things that I had to quickly learn in order to be successful. Absolutely. I love that. I think about this book as being the book for the other 70% of us, because only 30% of the American population is white men. Although if you look at, you know, the, the headshots on most VC, uh, you know, team pages, you're going to see about 
98% white men, but actually it's only like 32%. So this is the book for the other 68% of us that also want to be entrepreneurs. Uh, what, what kind of obstacles have you found for us other 68%? Well, and, you know, just to give credit to the 32%, look, you, you know, I've had a lot of help um, from white male mentors, you know, many, but not all of our investors were white men. Um, you know, I think that this book, you know, if you're a white guy and you're listening to this, uh, you know, this is a great book to read yourself, sure, um, depending on the background you come from, but also to hand to someone, right? If you're looking for a really practical way to help someone who looks up to you, you know, or, you know, maybe it's coming from a different background from you, this is a, a gift that you can give them of just, you know, a head start. Um, but in terms of obstacles, gosh, sure. <laughs> uh, you know, as a black woman, I get it from both sides. So, you know, again, depending, no matter who you are, look, I, I had probably the toughest journey in, right? So there's something for everybody here, um, you know, if I made it. But yeah, you know, I would, even though I had been a successful entrepreneur, you know, as we were rolling up this startup, you know, I had some micro celebrity from my blog, um, Jack and Jill Politics, uh, which was really active during the 2008 and 2012 uh, election cycles targeted at uh, black people, politics and pop culture, but those also who love black people and are interested in, in what the hip hop generation had to say. Uh, you know, I had started an agency, you know, with my co-founder, Roz Lemieux, that, you know, had already generated millions of dollars in revenue. Right. So, you know, here I am going to investors saying, look, you know, we've got this new cool thing, you know, it's, it's already got customers. It's, you know, we have a pro like an active prototype. It's not vaporware. And, you know, I, it was like crawling on my belly, Chris, mm -hmm. to get, you know, people to even talk to me, you know, and I was used at that point, I was kind of used to people, you know, at least taking my phone call, you know, or answering an email and uh, a lot of doors got slammed in my face. And then even when I would get, finally, you know, sit down with an investor. I remember sitting down with a potential investor and this was a, an angel fund that was dedicated. Like their whole point was trying to fund people like me, right? Who were, you know, non-traditional founders and sitting across from him after giving him the demo and him saying, well, this is a really great idea. This is, you know, interesting software, but I don't know if you, I don't know if you are the one who can really, you know, take wow. this. Oh yeah, girl, people would say it to my face. So, wow. I think it's better now, you know, that was, you know, look, that was, you know, uh, seven or eight years ago. Um, so, you know, things are definitely, you know, I think the tide has turned in part because of the work that people like you and me have done. I'm so Van Jones of CNN, uh, an old friend of Love mine, I knew, him, I knew him when, um, you know, but Van and I started, uh, you know, in the wake of attentively as part of that, we actually started Yes, We Code, um, which is an organization that's helping um, over 100,000 low opportunity youth of many colors um, to find tech careers. So, you know, this is just another piece of that, which, you know, including diversity and inclusion in tech, because look, you know, it's a big country, a big country that is diversifying. And if we, you know, set aside the moral imperative here, right, that we want everyone, you know, anyone who's got a bright idea, you know, to uh, have the tools they need to improve people's lives through a great product and service. Let's just set that aside, right? If we are to continue to be one of the strongest economies in the world, you know, it means that, you know, as many people as possible need, you know, to, you know, feel like they have an opportunity to succeed 
you know, in the technical arena because there's no job. There is, there is no product. There is no service that doesn't involve technology going forward in the 21st century. So, you know, hopefully this, you know, gives people some resources and some ideas and some jokes uh, they can use <laughs> to get through the journey successfully. Yes. And this is not about, you know, I, I hope if the white men are still listening, thank you. Um, <laughs> this is not about, uh, oh, this is not a book for you. You know, my comment easily could have been interpreted as there's nothing here for you. And I, I couldn't think, I, I think that's as far from the truth as it could possibly be because what I find is the case in diversity is that we actually can't afford to not have everybody's voice at the table because I guarantee you, because I've already read part of the book, that there's stuff in this book that I have never seen in any book about entrepreneurship. And it's, I think the best teachers are the ones that had the hardest time and they can explain it in such exquisite detail because, you know, it, you had to learn every single step, every rung on the ladder, you skinned your forehead on it and you're going to remember and you're going to tell somebody else how not to skin their forehead. So, um, so I do truly think it's a book for everybody. So oh, I absolutely. Want to clarify my statement. Yes, <laughs> and also, you know, I think what one of the most useful things, you know, I've done a fair amount of public speaking after um, attentively my startup uh, uh, was acquired. And just so folks know, for those who don't know, um, my startup attentively is the first tech startup, as far as we know, with a black female founder on board to be acquired by a NASDAQ company. So absolutely, I feel, you know, more people have been to the moon than have done what I have done, right? Which is something yeah. we should change as a society, but it's really reaching, reaching a hand down to pull some folks up, anyone. And, you know, I think one of the, the most important parts of the book, hopefully that uh, is of use to folks, is the description of the startup life cycle. I think a lot of people go in, you know, just, you know, really focused on the dream, right? Like I've got a great idea. I want to be my own boss. You know, I, I, I you know, want to, you know, be as successful as I can, you know, without understanding that there's a whole arc, right? And you're not going to probably have that business for 20 years. You know, most businesses have a five to seven or 10 year life cycle before at a minimum, you know, they have to pivot, right. And reinvent, especially in these times, or, you know, they have to look at, you know, the exit strategy. So hopefully it's useful even from that perspective for anyone of just, what is that like? What is, what is the arc and the life cycle of a startup and how can I be successful at every stage? Sunday Night Blues creeping in every week. It's time to find a job you love. Indeed, Prime connects tech talent to software, DevOps, and other knowledge worker roles with leading companies like eBay, Barclays, Vodafone, HomeAway, and more across 90 cities. Whether you're looking or hiring, get the right match for you based on location, skills, and salary. Candidates join totally free and also get access to resume reviews, one-on-ones with technical career coaches, work style assessments, and negotiation tips to seal the deal. Join now at IndeedPrime.com slash HackerNoon to flip the script on the job search. That's Indeed, P-R-I-M-E dot com slash HackerNoon. You talk about stuff, like I said, that I haven't seen in any other book before. You write about uh, babies. Uh, she, your business partner, she was amazing before she had a baby. After her first child was born, her ability soared. Her brain realigned and th things clicked into gear. She's full of energy and ideas. 
there are areas in your brain where you're five times faster on your game. You're a different machine. And this is not a message that I've really heard very much. Right. Isn't that crazy? So that comes from uh, the book, The Female Brain, um, which is great. I've actually, it's written by a female neuroscientist. She's actually written another book called The Male Brain. Uh, which is fascinating. And I definitely recommend people check that one out too. Um, But the female brain, you know, it it was a revelation. And I actually had heard that from um, another, um, a number of women who are moms who said, you know, contrary to what you may have heard, I actually feel like I can do more as a mom than I could before. And right. Knowing that, you know, literally physically your brain, apparently the brain, the female brain shrinks by up to a third uh, during the last trimester, <laughs> which I totally felt. Okay. Like I absolutely was so dumb in that last trimester. However, what's happening is your brain is literally remapping. Mm. Right. And by the time the baby is six months old, you know, it has really grown back. Uh, you know, and you're just, you, you know, I think a lot of women feel like, well, I'm faster because I have to, but no, you know, your, your engineering, you know, has actually realigned to act, you know, to supersize. Um, your your momhood, you know, apparently men uh, and people who adopt also have a similar effect. You know, this also happens, but it is like 10%. It is maybe less, um, you know, less, uh, you know, pronounced, you know, the impact. But yeah, I think, you know, I, I do say in the book, look, you know, you you do want to try to plan your, your reproductive activity um, just because starting I, from experience, I can tell you, you know, having a baby, while your startup is is rolling, uh, is really challenging. Um, but look, for most uh, women in particular, uh, you know, it's pretty likely that you know, during the course of your startup, again, we're talking maybe five to seven years if you're having, you know, decent success, you know, that at some point, you know, you may have a, a child. And then, you know, so the book does give some some real talk. So there's a, there's a story in the book about my business partner, Roz, when two babies during the course of attentively. So uh, we had this big presentation at Venture Atlanta. So it was at the Atlanta Aquarium and there were going to be these two whales swimming in the conference room. I know it was pretty crazy. In the conference room. Uh, in the conference room. Yeah. They, there was like a giant view into uh, one of the tanks. You could see the whales swimming around. So, uh, you know, in front of 600, uh, you know, investors, um, you know, at Venture Atlanta, uh, investors and, and other startups, you know, we were going to give a series A pitch. Um, and she was the, the pitch woman. Um, she was based in Atlanta and she was like basically eight months pregnant, enormous. Okay. Like lot, a lot of baby was happening and she was going to make this joke uh, about how, you know, she looked like a whale and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Roz, I'm not, I can't, I can't, uh, you know, I just, you know, you are doing something so heroic. <laughs> By, by being the CEO of a tech startup and, and you know, giving birth that like, you know, you, no one has a right to make fun of you, least of all yourself. So she ended up changing the joke um, around. Uh, and I now actually use this joke because I, I had my baby, um, Colm was born, that we sold the company in July, 2016. Colm was born August, 2016. Um, so uh, the joke she ended up saying was, you know, I've got two startups. Uh, one of them is in my belly and uh, <laughs> it's pre-revenue. Don't have an exit strategy yet. <laughs> and the other is a tenable. 
That's the other is kind of we, let me tell you about that. Right. You know, so I think that, you know, it's, it's, you know, there's so many negative messages and often, you know, I think, uh, you know, un, you know, it's, there are messages that are there. People don't mean it that way. It's just, there's so many negative messages about motherhood and the impact and, you know, having trade offs. So there's another story from uh, a great, um, uh, I think it is from uh, B. Chang Shapiro you know, talking about um, her company and how, you know, she, you know, she's married, she, she would wear her ring to investor pitches. And she just always got these questions about like, oh, how are you going to balance everything? But the kind of questions that men just don't get. Never get and the that ones wearing the ready, you know, that just men can't even imagine that women have to go through, you know, yeah. and the same, the same question, right? The same pitch, right? I mean, I have my, this great company, I'm looking for investment. Uh, and she didn't even notice that it was an issue until one day by accident, she left her wedding ring at home and all of a sudden there were just n- there, none of those questions came up in her pitch meeting. She's like, Oh, so I'm just going to, I just don't, I just don't want to have to answer these questions. They're not relevant. I'm just going to, no. you know, I just, I just want to take this off the table. So, if, you know, I'm not saying then men would also be getting them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, either we're asking men the same question of, Hey, how do you plan to balance your family and, you know, all of your, your home responsibilities and running this intense startup, or we're not asking anybody, right. right. It's just not, it's not fair. Um, and it, it, it's, there's an implication, right. That you can't right? the, you know, I think the negative implication in asking someone to explain that is that when you're not going to be able to balance it, are you mm-hmm. right. Right. <laughs> Having been in some of these investor pitch meetings myself, I, um, I mean, my story was that when I finally broke down and took my male developer with me to pitch meetings, I started getting way more callbacks and I was so pissed off about it. But I will say if you're a female founder and you have and you're non-technical like I was and living in Portland, I had like a bunch of strikes against me. Um, but I had a male developer and he was not especially eloquent and didn't want to talk and was really scared to be in the meetings. And so I was like, you know, the best use of his time is to be coding. That was so not true. If you have a developer, especially a male developer, take them with you. <laughs> you need well, right. So I do talk it. about that in the book because it is a decision, right? Like it's it's a decision of, you know, do I, you know, do, do I need a dude next to me to be taken seriously? And, you know, um, Monique Woodard, who's a friend and, you know, an amazing venture capitalist, you know, what she said, you know, her perspective as an investor from investor's view is, you know, look, you know, be yourself, right? You know, if, you know, take that person, you know, take a guy, if he's a member of the team, in your case, he was like, he was an authentic, really important key member and could probably answer some questions, you know, um, in a way that, you know, was persuasive, um, you know, and given his technical background, but, uh, you know, what you want ultimately are investors who are investing in you. And that's especially true at the seed stage, at the seed stage, at the beginning of your business, you know, a savvy investor is really investing in you because they know that your business will probably pivot, you know, exactly, you know, you'll figure it out. There's going to be some twists and turns along the way. They're investing in someone they believe who is, you know, visionary and adaptable and resourceful, 
right? Who's who's going to take their money and you know do good things with it, and and be and they're prepared to double down, you know, as you yeah. as you continue to grow. So you know, be yourself, you know, and find the investors who really get you. But you know, especially if you're you know you you know, don't come from a technical background. If you're a woman, if you're a minority or God help you, if you're both, uh, you know, you might have to knock on more doors. You know, I certainly did. I had to knock on a lot more doors, you know, to get, you know, to finally find those investors, you know, who really got it in the beginning. Yeah. But it's, I, worth it. it's worth it. It's worth it to have people who really get you and believe in absolutely. you. And I, I have heard some other women investors who, you know, maybe they have uh, a romantic partner who can, you know, invest in their company. And I've heard some of them say, no, I want to do it on my own. I'm like, girl, you take that money. Here's the thing. And that's a good question, right? Like, well, two things there. One, the friends and family round, right? So there's this, you know, as part of the life cycle, and I talk about this in the book, as part of the startup life cycle, a lot of investors will ask you or will expect that you have done kind of this friends and family round. And, you know, particularly if you come from a poor background or if you're a minority, you know, black people have 10 cents Mm -hmm. to every dollar of family wealth of a white person, 10 cents. Okay. So like if you're a technologist in particular, right. Or, you know, you have a, you know, you're a techie, you're already making the most money in your family. People ask you for money. There's no friends yeah. and family around there. No. I sent my mom and my aunt a Christmas card with hundred dollar bills in it because you know, like if I was gonna do a friends and family round, I'd be like, Aunt Dee, can you send me fifty dollars? She'd be like, Exactly. I, I would raise I a total can, of four hundred dollars doing that. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I think that, you know, so th- I think it's really key, you know, particularly for investors to understand that, that you know, a, a promising startup is gonna need some a, a little bit more initial support. Um, but right. So, but then back to your point about, right. Should you, you know, ask your partner, you know, or your friends and family? Absolutely. You know, the, you know, early money in people like to investors like to give money when other people have given money. So if you have some folks in your network, you know, even very close to you, maybe sleeping next to you, you know, who can show, you know, I'm inve- I'm an investor. I believe in this product and in this person and I'm willing to put money behind that. That's only going to help. You know, and like what you- does the opposite say your boyfriend is an investor and he doesn't invest in your company is like, <laughs> what yeah, is that? It, doesn't, it doesn't express confidence. Yeah. So yeah, take whatever, take whatever money you can get, but treat it. So my brother, actually, you know, became, uh, eventually became a, you know, provided a small investment. Uh, and I actually begged him not, I was like, you don't, do you really, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm glad, but like, I don't want to, and he was like, no, you know, like in his case, it really was, he was coming from the spirit of like, I want to be a part of this, right. I'm learning a lot just from hearing you talk about this. Uh, but also, uh, you know, I want to support you. I believe in this, you know, this mission driven company that you have, that's helping nonprofits with social listening, influencer engagement, marketing automation. No one else is really doing that, you know, in the way that you guys are doing it, you know, I'm, I'm here, you know, and I'm going to show that with like, you know, some actual resources. And I'm really pleased, you know, to say that, you know, he got his money back and, and more. Yeah. And I, after, even after my company failed, there was one of my dear friends who had, um, had wanted to put in 25,000, but didn't meet the accredited investor things, which is a really high bar. Um, 
And he said, gosh, I wish I had invested in your company. I was like, you know, my company failed and you would have gotten none of that money. You, are you telling me you wish you had given me $25,000? I literally thought he was having a brain hemorrhage or something. I'm like, <laughs> do you remember that my company failed and you would have lost all of that? He's like, no, I wanted to invest in you. And it just blew me away that he didn't care. And I do think that that's maybe a good conversation to have with friends and family because you know, it can burn relationships. And I think that's a big concern for people. They need to understand that they are investing in you and they are very possibly never, ever going to see that money again. Right. And that they shouldn't provide money that they're not very okay with never seeing again, because 90% of American businesses fail in the first year. And of those 90% of those that make it through fail by the third year. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, you're just talking about, you know, the fact that your business failed. I do address that in the book, right? Because I think that this is one of the things that holds back, particularly non-traditional founders. You know, you're already working so hard. It's already, you know, your success has already come at such a high cost. And I think the prospect of not, you know, being certain, um, you know, and, and not having a certain path forward um, stops a lot of people, you know, particularly women and minorities, you know, from taking that next step because they're like, oh, what if I fail? And then like, no one will ever want to hire me. Like the costs of failure seem overly high. And yet what I want to tell people is, you know, you know, failing is not failing with a startup. Okay. Or, or any business. Um, you know, it's, you know, I used to think that people failed up, you know, and be like, how did that, how does that work? But now I understand, even if our, we were able to get through a successful exit and boy, it was, exiting is not easy. Um, but, uh, you know, even if you, even if you fail, which again, most people will for reasons that often have nothing to do with how well you did or didn't run the company. They're all, you know, it could be competition. It could be environmental conditions that change. Like there's all kinds of reasons why, you know, a business might fail that have nothing to do with how smart you are, how hard you're working. You know, any company is going to look at your experience and say, ah, here's an executive, right? Here's someone who has executive leadership experience, who understands accounts payable and accounts receivable, who has led, you know, who, you know, like you're now qualified after your business closes for a job, you know, way, you know, higher than kind of where you were before. So, you know, I do want people to understand that, that, you know, you, you can then also, because from the company standpoint, you can now be an entrepreneur, right? You can be someone who brings that executive leadership, you know, that vision, that drive, right? Because, you know, that's what that means. If you start your own business, like, you know, you are, you know, an ambitious go-getter, right? Like you're, you know, you're willing to work hard. Any company is going to see that and say, oh, this is someone who can be an entrepreneur, you know, and a leader within this company and help and help grow. Yeah. And I think that it's, for me, at least, this is absolutely not the right path for everybody. But for me, I could see that my career was stalling at, at the employer that I was at at the time. And I my manager, thank God he was so clear with me. He was like, nope, I'm not going to make you a manager of this three-person design team. So I wasn't going to get any managerial skills. Um, he wanted an engineer to manage the designers. God help us all. Um, <laughs> and eye roll. If you're on video, you've seen it on the podcast. It was like mega double eye roll. Right mega, mega double eye roll. <laughs> so my boy, eyes are actually, I may have broken one. <laughs> And, and I, I can't remember what the other, there was like three things that I had come back after a three month sabbatical 
like, I want to do this or this or this. And he was very clear that none of those three things were going to happen. So I thought about getting an MBA, but I figured for the amount of money that I would spend on an MBA, I could probably start my own company. And that's precisely what I did. Um, And there's no question in my mind that that was a better path than an MBA for me. Yeah, not everybody needs an MBA. For me, it was actually helpful to get one. Um, I actually went to school for it while I was working um, at, uh, you know, a marine conservation uh, organization, nonprofit. So I was one of actually, you know, very few. There were only two people working in nonprofits in my class of 50, um, which was, you know, now I think the idea of a mission-driven startup is not, you know, or like, you know, a, a socially, you know, mindful startup is is not exotic. But back then, you know, there wasn't even a name, you know, for, for that. Um, but yeah, my, my business partner, Roz, you know, didn't have a, an MBA and never really needed one. Um, so I think it's up to you, you know, um, for me, I'd say, you know, the two things I took for my MBA program that were the most important were uh, negotiating skills, mm-hmm. um, which I was not necessarily so great at, but are really important. Um, and just like real mechanics, you know, for that, but also accounting, you know, just learning like just the, the you know, the nuts and bolts, which I look, I took one of my accounting finals after a root canal pretty high on Percocet. Uh, I got a D plus, which I think was generous, but you know what? I used account, like, even though I was terrible, okay. I'm like, accounting is not my strong suit, more of a marketer. Uh, you know, I use accounting every week. Okay. Maybe even every day. So, you know, I think that you can get a lot of the skills in real time, you know, or, you know, you, you may, you probably already have what you need and can learn it along the way. You know, that's what YouTube is for and books. Um, but, you know, an MBA, it can't hurt, I guess, what I'd say. Sure. And you point out very rightly that it's not a choice one or the other. Um, it was a choice for me which thing I did next. And yeah. But, you know, some of us are overachievers like you and do both. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. But, I, you know, I have a similar experience, I think, for a lot of people. This is... You know, this is particularly women and minorities. I think this is part of, you know, what drives where, you know, I was working in a, a major um, PR company. They had recruited me to run their West Coast um, or, or basically, you know, rehab their their West Coast digital practice. And, you know, I was working, I mean, literally like 18 hour days. Like it was crazy. Um, you know, and I, I put together a plan for how I could raise, you know, a million dollars in revenue, you know, if I was just given like some more support, you know, a team. Um, and, uh, you know, not only did they think that was ridiculous and crazy, um, I was also denied the promotion that had been essentially promised to me with good performance uh, in my offer letter. So I was just like, you know, I, I just, it was like a voice from above said, okay, we're done. Like, you you know, we've learned as much. I quit that day. It was like, peace, peace out. Uh, and then went on Twitter and said, hey, as it turns out, I am available. Who wants to work with me? Uh, and, you know, the power of a network. And this is, you know, this is, I talk about this in the book too. You know, I would not have been able to start my businesses without relationships you know, that I've built, and I certainly wouldn't have been able to keep them without relationships. The relationships that you build are so critical um, to your success, your professional development. Um, And that means being of service to others 
you know, uh, so that, you know, there's someone to turn to when you need help. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, so I, you know, it was the same for me. And so what happened was from that tweet, I got actually a lot of, a number of incoming, um, ideas and, and offers, but one of them ended up connecting me to my business partner, Roz Lemieux. And I was ready to business marry her, like by the middle of our first project. And she was like, well, I mean, girl, can we just business date for, you know, another, (laughs) uh, (laughs) which that is, I mean, just so you guys know, like, you know, a, you know, you can't be an army of one. You have to have, you know, build your team and and fill that out, which I think for a lot of particularly women and minorities, like they're, they've already had to work so hard to get to where they are, that they really see themselves as kind of an army of one. And it it doesn't work that way. Um, you know, but also, uh, I forgot my point. Lord, what were we talking about? Well, I will I will jump in there because I I think if you are of an entrepreneurial mindset, one of the characteristics that that is true of many entrepreneurs, although maybe not all, is that we have a lot of ideas. A lot of ideas. And I think one of the most valuable things that you can have as a lens to figure out which of these things I should actually build is who shows up to build them. Because if I've got an idea and nobody wants to help me build that idea, it's maybe not the best one in the stack. I got a lot more. Like see who shows up and they can help you kind of sift through which are really the gold. Because uh, collaborators are absolutely essential. And I think business dating, I love that term, business dating <laughs> is really important. I had a very painful co-founder breakup and one of my mentors told me to business date him and I did not. And I live to regret that decision. Yeah, no, it's true. You, you definitely want to get a feel for folks. Cause yeah, it is as intimate and a relationship as marrying someone. I mean, literally Roz told me in the beginning, she was like, you, you our finances are more tied than me and the boyfriend I'm living with right now. Like, I, like, like, we, like you know, we, I know things that's true. I know things about Roz and probably and vice versa that probably our own mothers don't know. Okay. Like, you know, those people, you know, you've got to be willing to ride or die. So, you know, make sure you feel pretty sure and confident, right. Before you make that commitment and, and business, marry someone, and create a, a company together because it's rough. Like you are, you know, I, I named the book mechanical bull because, you know, the trick is just, you know, wrapping your legs around and, and staying on till that Bronco finally bucks you. I mean, it is, you know, it is a wild ride. Um, so, and you want someone who can, you know, kind of, you know, again, be part of your posse during that. Yeah. And they can't be, um, they can't be taking more of your energy than they're giving. I know this sounds real obvious, but um, I remember very clearly a call I had with my executive coach. And she said, you know, I've been meeting with you for about the last six months. And, and I'm looking at my notes here. And I'm noticing that in the last six calls that we've had, we've only talked about your co-founder. We haven't talked about all the other things that you undoubtedly need to know, like how to manage people, how to do performance, you know, is everybody pulling their leg? Is there anybody you need to, to help mentor, you know, all of the stuff. We didn't talk about accounting. We didn't talk about anything. All we talked about in my conversations with her were how to deal with my co-founder more effectively. And that was my moment of truth. It was just a few days later that I started the processes to figure out, call up my lawyer. All right. How do we do this? 
<laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it is. It is very real. Um, and, you know, sorting out, it, you know, and that is an important sign. I think we're, we're talking about something really important is, you know, what are the signs that, you know, this is really a good match? Because what will happen, you know, sometimes, you know, it happens as you gain success and the business starts to change. You may find that, you know, this person has outgrown. Um, you know, or, or the business has outgrown this person's capabilities, you know, or, or why they were so essential in the first place. And, you know, it may be clear in how they're showing up too, right? That like their performance is slipping or, you know, they're showing up at the office later and you're pulling, you know, pulling more of the weight. So, you know, I think it is important to pay attention to that. I was just talking the other week with a friend of mine who's a CEO, amazing woman, you know, who, just having this really tough, yeah, essentially breakup, you know, with one of her co-founders, you know, and I was just like, you, you know, you got to do it. I mean, you, you're doing it not just for you and for the company, because the company, you know, if you're successful, it takes on, it's like an organism itself, right? Like, you know, do what's right for the company and for everyone who works there. You know, you're beholden to them. If one person is holding up the show, you know, that hurts everybody, but also do it for your co-founder, right? Like deep down, they know that something is wrong. Right. And are, are asking for more attention because they're not getting the attention that they really need, which is to either like shape up or ship out, you know, shape up or ship out. I just can't get over how much I love the practicality of your book. Uh, and I don't think I've seen a section that so concretely talks about what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Uh, and I will I will have to say it is not that you have an infinite tolerance for risk. There's, I'm just going to take a second and talk about a billboard that is currently on the 101 South, and I am not going to say the name of the bank that put it up because I don't want them any more <laughs> name recognition off of this bullshit billboard that they put that said, it's not risk if you have what it takes. Oh. oh, man, that is just uh, a, a misunderstanding of the process. There's risk at every stage. I mean, during the due diligence, you know, as we were selling the company, I mean, I, you know, it was like, you know how in the X-Men, like Wolverine, you know, he has these flashbacks where they're like putting the, uh, what is it? The adamantine, you know, the stuff into his bones and he's like screaming and like, it's nightmarish. And that's what due diligence has looked like. I mean, like, you know, at any moment, even as we were selling our company, there was a chance that they would, you know, the company would, you know, find something that for whatever reason they didn't like or spook them and be like, oh, never mind. I mean, we both had to work really hard to make sure every single thing was, you know, tied down. I mean, there's risk at every stage for sure. So that is insane. However, you know, right, that chapter, you know, which is, you know, one of the first ones in the book is just all about, look, you know, it's the American dream right? To become an entrepreneur, you know, to be your own boss, have your own business, create prosperity, create, you know, something that improves people's lives, right? Um, and that moves, you know, the American experience forward. However, look, you know, the reason people are working from home in their pajamas is because they can't afford an office <laughs> and because they don't have time to put clothes on. Like if that, if I, if telling you that, it makes you feel like, oh, yes, I definitely want to do, I definitely want that as my lifestyle. Like entrepreneurship is for you. I mean, it, you know, if you're successful, it won't be like that always. Um, but, you know, in those first, you know, those for that first year to 18 months, I mean, you are going to be working harder than you could possibly imagine. Um, and, you know, look, you know, are you willing to go into debt for this idea? 
Are you willing to get paid last for this idea? You know, like that's, that's really the risk tolerance, you know, that you need to figure out, like, you know, and you may not like it, right. You might, you know, but you might be willing, you might feel certain enough, you know, that you can make that gamble, but absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, it's risky, but you know, where there is more risk, there's also more reward. And, you know, what I feel great about, and I, I, particularly for the, the women listening, but also the men, you know, what I love about, you know, having my own business is that I really do have more control over my schedule. And, you know, uh, so I'm the CEO now of Do Big Things, which uh, find us at dobigthings.today. Uh, and we are a digital agency that provides new narrative and new tech for the new era in which I think we all sense that we're living in now. Um, we work with mostly uh, nonprofits, foundations, um, companies that have uh, mission-driven uh, campaigns like public awareness and education. But, you know, as CEO, even though I work very hard, I have some control over my schedule. And I have created that for the rest of our team members. Anyone from our team can work from home at any time or a co-working space if they prefer. We have an office in Chicago and in DC. But, you know, I've tried to create both for myself, but for our team members, you know, a a work style uh, that also, you know, recognizes that you have other roles in your life and that you have to play a balancing act. So, you know, if that's appealing to you to be able to say, look, you know, today I can start work at 10 and then I have to stop at three, but then I'll be back on after the kids are asleep at seven. You know, you can do that, right? You can start to set that up for yourself. And, and you know, if you're successful, you can build some prosperity for yourself and, and for the team that you end up recruiting. So, you know, yeah, it's risky. Okay. Like there's no, I mean, I think we just already talked about the fact that there's a good chance, you know, you'll, 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 you know, burn, burn that thing down at the end, but you know, there's an awful lot of reward on the, you know, whether you succeed or fail with that specific business ahead. Absolutely. And I have to throw in a recommendation for, for two things. First, my, my, the only book I've ever read about business finances that made a damn bit of sense to me in on a level of like, oh, that would actually help me instead of, oh, that'd be a giant pain in my ass that I think I should do. Um, and that book is called Profit First. And it's, um, it's a way of setting up your account so that you can look at your bank account and know how much is appropriate for you to be spending so that you still have a profitable company. Because it's one thing to run a company. It's a different thing to run a profitable company. <laughs> well, absolutely. So there is a, there are a couple chapters that address that, the whole burn and versus traction thing. Because, right, I mean, you know, if you're lucky enough to get seed capital or venture capital, all of a sudden there's this big check in the bank. You're like, what? I, now I have $500,000. This is not the time to go to Hawaii. Okay. All expenses paid. You know, this is not the time to buy that, you know, Lamborghini. This is not, or, this even, is not buy, or even to buy everybody in the company a new $2,500 laptop, you know? Yeah, this is not, right. This is not the time to do that. You know, like it, you know, you really want to be careful because, you know, it's called a runway, right? And, you know, the, the key is like, you know, do you have enough runway to take off or do you fall off, you know, into a ditch, right? Like, so, uh, yeah, you know, making sure that you are, 
you know, for a lot of successful companies, Uber, you know, and Lyft that just started, you know, they're not actually that profitable yet, even though they IPO'd. Um, but, you know, ideally, yeah, you're working towards profitability and investors want to see that, you know, they understand that for the, you know, the first little bit, you know, you're, you know, you're going to be underwater, you know, you're going to be burning, but they want to see traction, you know, and traction can be defined a lot of ways, but one of those ways is profit. <laughs> like, are you actually is a very important metric? It means you get to make your own, your own rules. And the easiest way to get money is not to need it. <laughs> exactly. To, well, and to actually show, you know, do people want this? You know, is there really a market for this product? And so, you know, if nothing else, what profit can tell you, you know, and don't, I mean, obviously it's good to just like make money, but besides like making the money, you know, whether you're making a profit tells you a people are interested in this product right? And, and are excited about it and are, are signing back up. Retention is a really important um, uh, factor of traction. But also, am I running the business in, a, in an efficient way, right? Because, you know, you can be running the business and doing great, but if you're not starting to get, you know, if you don't have a path to profit or are experiencing profit, it means that ultimately, you know, things are not as tied down or inefficient internally as they could be. And you could be, you could be making improvements and how you approach the business. Absolutely. For me, I needed to know, I needed to have a way to know if I actually had the money to spend. Uh, and Profit First gives you some rough breakdown of percentages, like here's your revenue, here's much, you're going to put this away for taxes, you're going to put this much away for your profits. And it's basically reversing the equation, which in most businesses is, I have X amount of money coming in minus Y expenses and whatever is left over is what I'm going to pay myself. And profit first is I'm going to get paid. <laughs> I'm going to have a profitable company. And what's left over is my budget for running the company, the operating expenses. So it's sort of a commitment to being profitable. Absolutely. Yeah. And just being smart about, you know, am I really looking at, you know, all the factors, you know, that, that are going to keep this business healthy. Absolutely. Uh, I love it. Profit first, especially important, you know, again, you know, if you don't know much about accounting, right, you didn't study it in school, you know, if you're like me, um, you know, that kind of book, Profit First, yeah, can be so essential, you know, in just making sure, you know, do you do you have everything lined up? Are you watching the right numbers? Yes. And it doesn't have to be VC funded as well. I mean, there's resources like I, I have to mention Tara Reed and Apps Without Code, which is all about how can we prototype this as quickly as possible to understand whether we have product market fit, if this is even a thing that we need to bother to build. Um, and I think as a marketer, I suspect you have a lot of tactics up your sleeve about how to do that early question of, is this a product that anybody gives a damn about? I'm curious if you can speak to that. Sure. Well, the most important thing is to tell people, right? So, you know, I think, you know, coming from the black community myself, you know, there's, you know, there's often these admonitions of, you know, don't tell people your business, you know, don't put your business out in the street, uh, which can be really inhibiting, right? In terms of, talking about your idea and your business. And sometimes people are, are worried like, oh, if I tell people about my idea, they'll steal it, right? And nothing could be further from the truth. Most people are too busy and or too lazy to steal your idea. <laughs> so the more people you can talk to about your idea, the more people you can show your pitch deck to, especially in those early days, 
the more you can basically do that market intelligence gathering and figure out well, what appeals to people, right? What about this concept you know, do people really glom onto? And what is just sort of like, meh, you know, the, the more you talk to people, that's how you can figure out, well, um, you know, who are my, uh, who, who could my team and collaborators be? Who could my vendors be? Who could my suppliers be? Right? Who are my customers? Maybe it's different from what I imagined. You know, my customers to be the people who really need this. You know, as I'm talking to people, oh, they've identified this whole other market segment that I hadn't even thought about who want this product. So, you know, there's all kinds of ways you can learn, but first, that means being having the courage to really, you know, put yourself out there and talk about your idea. Beautiful. So sort of as we are nearing the end of our hour, it's gone so fast. Um, I'm wondering if you have any resources that you'd like to offer, books or podcasts or uh, even communities where um, entrepreneurs get together to talk about these things and support each other. Sure. Well, uh, I'm on the advisory committee of Dent. So it's dentthefuture.com. Really great uh, conference, but also community, you know, of people uh, who uh, have come together to uh, do amazing things, um, you know, in their businesses, but also in their lives. So definitely recommend that. Uh, I think it is called Hello Alice, um, but a really cool community of, uh, that's right, uh, of women who, um, that connects founders with the resources that they need, Um, you know, particularly directed at women, but anyone uh, can join uh, my book. Mechanical bull would be a great thing to pick up. There's a cool picture of a bull on the front. Um, it's orange. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> you can also download it on, on the internet. Uh, those are a few things that come to mind. Wonderful. And our question that we ask all Hacker Noon guests, what's your favorite hack? Oh, my favorite life hack. Well, uh, I will say, you know, I just saw this life hacker um, video that's all about things that you can do with your kid lying down um like ways you can play with your kid without having to move which yeah okay real talk as you know you you want to launch a startup this is this is what your future might look like for a while like I just I just need to lie down but I'm also trying to be present for you so you can take a white shirt and make train tracks on it with a sharpie and then, you know, your child, you just lay on the ground and your child can play, you know, kids really want to have contact with you, right? They want to like interact with you. So they can take their little train or little car and like, you know, go along the train tracks, a little massage for you. Everyone wins. Everyone wins in the game. Anyway, that's my, that's my new life hack. My son is loving it. It's great. It's a great game. We can both play. You're brilliant. <laughs> we both get our needs met. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have been a delight. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. This has been really fun. That was Cheryl Conti with Do Big Things. Check out the links to her new book, The Mechanical Bull, How You Can Achieve Startup Success, plus all the resources she mentioned in the show notes. Please don't forget to subscribe to the Hacker Noon podcast on iTunes or head on over to YouTube if you want to see our smiling faces. You can also find us at hackernoon.com and podcast.hackernoon.com or on Twitter at, you guessed it, Hacker Noon. I'm Chris Beasley. See you next Tuesday.